0: You are listening to KZYX Philo, 90.7 FM, KZYZ, Willits and Ukiah, 91.5 FM, and Fort Bragg at 88.1 FM. We also stream live at kzyx.org. Altogether, we are Mendocino County Public Broadcasting, listener-supported community radio. We're also found on Facebook. And today, we're broadcasting from the Redwood Coast Senior Center in Fort Bragg. Hi, I'm Bob Bashansky. Welcome to the latest edition of Politics, a Love Story. As we get closer and closer to the presidential election, we hear how divided we are politically and culturally, epithets thrown, lies told, and disinformation interjected into our social media by foreign actors. Of course, on one side, we have a candidate who was recorded making over 20,000 lies and misstatements over his three and a half years in office, who rails about the conspiracies against him by what he calls the deep state. We haven't had a great deal from the other side because the contender doesn't have a bully pulpit from which to expound, exaggerate, misdirect from his missteps. We also don't know how Donald Trump gets even a modicum of success without lying, stealing, and cheating. Although Joe Biden should win like the tortoise beat the hare, there are so many devious, treasonous, and anti-constitutional acts that Trump and his chief henchman Barr may attempt that it is hard to be casual about the election. We will see. One of the main points that Trump makes over and over again is the deep state. Has there always been one? Is there one now? We have a guest today that may be better able to answer those questions and others over the next hour. That guest is David Rode, author of In Deep, the FBI, the CIA, and the truth about America's deep state. David Rode is a two-time recipient of the Pulitzer Prize, is an executive editor of the New Yorker website, a national fellow at New America and a former Reuters, New York Times, and Christian Science Monitor reporter. I am really pleased to welcome David Rowe to Politics, A Love Story. Hi, David.
1: Hi, Bob. Thanks so much for having me on the show.
0: Well, thank you for being here. Uh, so uh, I have uh, nine pages of notes. We're not going to get to them, but we will do as many as we possibly can. But why don't you lay out where we should start?
1: This is first an issue for, I would say, Americans on, on both the left and the, and the right. Um, there was a, a, a public opinion poll uh, taken back in, in um, 2017 that showed that 70% of Americans think that unelected government officials secretly influence government policy in Washington, uh, including generals. And so... Uh, it's a widespread belief. Uh, there's kind of a different way it's seen um, on the left and on the right. On the left, people tend to use the term the military-industrial complex, and that's the the idea of a cabal of defense contracting firms and generals that push the country into war after war after war, whereas people on the right talk about the administrative state. Um, that would be an ever-growing federal government, state, and local governments that you know, relentlessly infringing on Americans' constitutional rights and, and personal freedoms. Um, so different language, but a deep and widespread fear of government. So in
0: 1970, on April 29, 1976, a six-volume report that detailed decades of illegal FBI and CIA spying on American citizens uh, was uh, laid out. Has it stopped?
1: It, it stopped in, in one way. The, the, the problem in the past, uh, sort of way back decades ago, was that these agencies, the CIA and the FBI, were often acting on their own, and this is kind of the central debate that you talked about in your introduction, like uh, are they acting on their own or are they obeying the president? Uh, the reforms that were enacted in the 70s did um, largely prevent the CIA, and the FBI from going rogue and acting on their own. That's all changed um, under President Trump. Um, A simpler summary would be that every president, when they come into office, distrust, you know, Washington bureaucrats. Every president feels they have a democratic mandate to enact their policy. Uh, Ronald Reagan came to Washington and he didn't trust State Department officials who he felt weren't implementing his aggressive policies against communism. Uh, Barack Obama came to Washington. He thought generals in the Pentagon were releasing possible troop increase numbers in Afghanistan as a way to box Obama into sending more troops than he wanted. But no president you know, has said, as Donald Trump has, no president has said, I am the victim of a coup, that, that these government workers are trying to force me from office.
0: So uh, bottom line. Are Americans' intelligence agencies and its politicians abusing or protecting the public trust?
1: The bottom line of the book is that I found the term deep state to be political rhetoric, and I found that President Trump was exaggerating the problem. Uh, The FBI and the CIA are enormously powerful. There was the Trump-Russia investigation, which we can talk about in detail. Mistakes were made. Uh, Carter Page, a former campaign Uh, advisor to Donald Trump was surveilled for several months longer than he should have been. But there was no plot to unseat, you know, and drive President Trump from office. Uh, The FBI never tapped Trump Tower. Uh, I can talk about this in more detail. The FBI didn't leak the fact that they were investigating the Trump campaign in in 2016. Um, If anything, the FBI did more to hurt Hillary Clinton than it did Donald Trump before the 2016 election and so i think the president is an amazing communicator um he uses terms to discredit rival sources of information and power so the media is you know fake news and he's been very effective at discrediting myself and others in the media and we need to accept that uh the Mueller investigation was a witch hunt um and he used that effectively to, to discredit mullers to, to many americans and so uh, the term deep state is something that Donald Trump uses when there's a government official who's contradicting the president's statements or claims that person then is part of a deep state uh, conspiracy. Uh, there's a permanent government. There's an institutional government that needs to be controlled very closely by elected officials. But the term deep state is just, you know, great political rhetoric that conjures up fears of people and images of a conspiracy. That I found
0: did not exist. It's interesting. uh, You mentioned 2016 and the investigations that uh, ensued from that. You also point out that Mitch McConnell was almost singularly responsible for not revealing that information more than 60 days before the election. Uh, He didn't want it to politicize or hurt Donald Trump. And that really was a terrible thing to allow to happen. And then on the other hand, we have Comey, who within 10 days of the election, uh, talked about uh, Hillary Clinton was not going to be indicted. I mean, this is just two opposite ends that really messed up that election, uh, among other reasons, didn't they?
1: Yeah, it was a mess. I mean, and I guess that's my, you know, and I know many people will hear me and and let me – I just want to back up and get say, like, again, I'm a member of the mainstream media. I worked at the Christian Science Monitor for years and the New York Times uh, for years and at Reuters for years, and now I work at the New Yorker. Um, I've found that, you know, things are a mess. Like, like I, I, we can talk about 2016 in more detail. Um, Mitch McConnell um, – the, and I talked to other Republicans. They felt that the, the talk of Russian interference was exaggerated, and it was a, a ploy by Democrats to get the federal government involved in elections that Mitch McConnell for decades has argued should be controlled by, by local government. Um, at the same time, Robert Mueller um, – not Robert Mueller, I, pol- I apologize – James Comey, the FBI director, you know, publicly reopened the investigation into Hillary Clinton's emails, you know, as you said, days before the election. And then realized these new emails they would found, you know, on a computer that you know was used by um, Anthony Weiner, the, the congressman and husband of Huma Abedin. Anyway, many people know this. There was there were no new emails there. They were copies of other emails that had already been exaggerated. That was just sort of an egregious failure by Comey. Uh, more than anything, that um, swung the election, you know, in favor of Trump. the few various. People have said at various pollsters and stuff. So, I'm not trying to be naive. I, I, we can talk more about this. I, I'm very leery of the FBI and the CIA and the NSA. Um, but you know, there was more sort of chaos in the summer of 2016 than a grand uh, conspiracy to defeat Donald Trump. And it, you know, it didn't work. And Can I tell you one anecdote about one effort I
0: made? Go right ahead.
1: Investigate the. So uh, I worked at Reuters at that point, and I had a copy of the famous Steele dossier. This is the dossier uh, put together by a former British intelligence operative. It was most of the research uh, was funded by Hillary Clinton's campaign, um, and it was conducted by a firm named GPS Fusion. Um, That dossier was given to journalists across Washington in the summer of 2016. Uh, it was given to a colleague of mine at Reuters. And, you know, everybody, Wall Street Journal, Washington Post, New York Times, CNN, ABC, you name it, had the dossier. Um, I one of the things in the dossier was that uh, Carter Page, the, the Trump campaign advisor I mentioned earlier, was meeting with Igor Sechin, a senior aide to Vladimir Putin in Moscow. I went to a senior Justice Department official in sort of, mm, I can't remember when, mid to late July of 2016, and I said to this official, please confirm with me that Carter Page, this aide to Donald Trump, was meeting with this Putin advisor, and that official, who I won't name, refused to say anything to me. They would not leak or confirm Election. I'm writing a story about the CIA I'm doing an interview with CIA director John Brennan in his office in Langley Virginia it's this amazing office that sits you know near the top of the building and you look out of CIA headquarters out of the director's office and I remember there was this beautiful canopy of green trees these verdant trees all around us outside the window and then I asked John Brennan I said you know we have copies of this dossier one of the things that the dossier alleges is that the Russians have Compromising videotapes of Donald Trump with prostitutes in this hotel room, you know that was used by Barack Obama in, in, in Moscow, and you know John Brennan kind of sat there, and there was a couple uh, press aides of his. The press aides were kind of surprised. I asked the question, but maybe I felt it was my job. And John Brennan said, "I'm not commenting on that either way." Um, he's like, "I," he seems surprised, and and then he said, "I'm not confirming," "I'm not confirming those." anything like that exists i'm not denying that anything like that exists i'm not getting engaging with you in any way shape or form on any of this material and then john brennan urged me to not print anything about he said you're going to hear many crazy things excuse me about donald trump and hillary clinton in the final six weeks or so of this campaign and john brennan said i urge you to not print anything you hear about them unless you can absolutely confirm it because there's a lot of bad information floating around out there so John Brennan discouraged me from writing about the dossier and discouraged me from claiming there were these videotapes of Trump. So my personal experience was that there was no plot to use the dossier to sabotage Donald Trump. It was the opposite that Justice Department officials and, you know, John Brennan, the then CIA director, refused to, to corroborate things and, and you know, and, and thwarted me from reporting it instead of helping me to report it. And by the way, the dossier is garbage. Most of it's been disproven. And, and you know, and I just, you'll hear me, Bob, try to be fair, I'm, you know, left and right. Um, but this narrative that the, the dossier, and there was a massive campaign, and John Brennan and all these Justice Department and FBI officials were peddling it to journalists. is isn't true. We had it. And lastly, most journalists didn't write about the dossier. There was no... You know, there was one uh, brief story about parts of the dossier just before the election, but no news organization wrote about it because none of us could confirm its content.
0: So, uh, David, bottom line, um, was there uh, Russian interference into our presidential election in 2016?
1: Yes, absolutely. And I support and all my reporting supports the findings of Robert Mueller. Um and his investigation. And then the, obviously the big issue is, you know, Mueller said he did not find, you know, enough proof of collusion to charge Donald Trump with conspiring with the Russians to do this, that, that, you know, people phrase it differently, that Trump kind of welcomed the aid, um, you know, was curious to know about what were in the emails, but there's no proof that he, that the Trump campaign coordinated with Russia. But yes, Russia definitely, um, intervene in the election to sow chaos and confusion and sow division. And they succeeded spectacularly.
0: Another it thing. Was one
1: of the most effective, uh, you know, sorry, disinformation campaigns a, I think that's ever been launched.
0: Well, one of the other things that Mueller stated was that there were 10 instances that he saw of obstruction of justice. And of course, when Bill Barr uh, uh, wrote a summary of the Mueller report, um, he didn't tell the truth about what he interpreted it to be, did he?
1: Yeah, definitely. Uh, Barr, um, you know, issued a summary of the findings of the Mueller report that played down. Uh, he, he basically, Barr himself, that I have analyzed the results of this report and there is no obstruction of justice here. Um, uh, a colleague of mine, a New Yorker writer, Jeff Tubin, has just come out with a book saying that Mueller was much too cautious in, in the way he released his findings and in, and in his definition of obstruction of justice. Um, so Barr is a skeptic of—I'll um, try not to digress here again too much, but I'm trying to talk about the kind of ideologies and philosophies that lead people to, to, to do these things. And so Barr is a member of a, a small group of people who feel that the presidency was weakened far too much after Watergate Um, And he feels that independent counsels like uh, Robert Mueller are an infringement on uh, a president's power and that, you know, he, he, so he, he's very skeptical about the legality of having independent counsels. He's also, he thinks that the only way a president can obstruct justice is by destroying evidence or, you know, pressuring others to lie under oath. Um, And that's it. And, and so you know, I can't get in Bill Barr's head, but he he did dismiss the Mueller report. He did present a misleading summary of its findings. Um, but this is part of what he's believed for decades that you know, presidents essentially can't uh, obstruct justice under the under Article Two of the Constitution. They are the chief executive, and you know they can they they shouldn't be hampered by endless investigations by Congress and by independent counsels that are, you know, in Barr's view, motivated by
0: politics. Well, both Nixon and Trump have stated that uh, the president, being the president, cannot commit a crime.
1: Yes, and that this is very much part of Barr's uh, view. Um, Other people that held this view, um, President Ford enacted many, many reforms and, and did help the country heal after Watergate, um, he appointed an attorney general named Edward Levy, who did an amazing job of turning the Justice Department into sort of an apolitical organization. And that's really the—Levy created the, moder, sorry, the model of, of what an American, a modern American attorney general should be, and that is apolitical. Um, but other aides to Ford—Dick um, Cheney, Donald Rumsfeld, who worked in the Ford White House, um, Antonin Scalia, who would go on to become a Supreme Court justice— uh, and Ford, by the end of his term, felt that the presidency had been weakened too much, uh, like I said, and, and then Ed Meese as attorney general under President Reagan and then, and then Bill Barr as well. So that's a whole you know, group of people who have this view of obstruction of justice by a president, and it's a, an extreme view. Um, I say in the book that it's, it's an altering of the basic premise of three co-equal branches of government competing for power. Uh, I, I I like, you know, I found in looking at the history of uh, abuses that you know, the division of powers uh, I, I think um, is the most effective way to kind of limit abuses. Secrecy and concentrations of power tend to lead to abuses.
0: So John Mitchell was the only former attorney general to be sent to prison. Uh, do you think he'll be the last?
1: I so I I I have there's been a lot of questions about what Bill Barr has done. Um, many you know views that he's you know friends of the president. Uh, you know that he they're treated favorably favorably in terms of criminal prosecutions. Um, I if Bill unless Bill Barr is convicted by a jury of his peers, um, you know of clear crimes. I don't think he should go to jail. I think that. A danger for us as a country, and this is me again sort of trying to be down the middle, is like, you know, like a kind of Banana Republic where a new, a new leader comes in and uh, the old leader and all of his aides go to jail. I don't think we want that. Um, so I think there's a lot of questions about Bill Barr's tenure as attorney general. Um, he's made it a much more political office. He has taken actions that seem to aid the president politically. This is the opposite of the model I talked about of Edward Levy back in the 70s, and, you know, I think that's very corrosive for American democracy when you have an attorney general that seems so intent on aiding the president uh, politically. But I don't know of a crime that Bill Barr has committed, you know, beyond a reasonable doubt. I did not find that in my
0: research. So, David, you point out in your book that in 1973, historian Arthur Schlesinger Jr. warned... The American presidency has grown out of control and exceeded its constitutional limits. Is it worse today? And if so, how much worse?
1: I think we're approaching that level. I think that um, the presidency did lose some power after Watergate. The War Powers Act, you know, limited the, theoretically limited the president's ability to deploy forces abroad. Um, some of these intelligence reforms, there was the creation of a FISA court, which would mandate that the fbi couldn't tap americans without the approval of a judge um inspectors general were created to you know look into as independent uh investigators to look into fraud and abuse in the executive branch um uh the fbi directors were limited to 10-year terms all of this was designed to kind of prevent the abuses that had occurred in in the 70s a lot of that changed after 9-11 um george bush Carried out a nationwide surveillance program without going to that FISA court. He just simply said, "I don't need a judge's approval," and you know, in 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 terms of because of to protect national security, I have the ability to carry out this this surveillance as I wish. Uh, To be, you know, try to be bipartisan. You know, Barack Obama carried out hundreds of drone strikes around the world, and he carried out the first ever strike that killed an American citizen, Anwar al-Awlaki, a Yemeni-American citizen uh, who returned to Yemen, joined al-Qaeda, um, you know, released videos that inspired the terrorist attack on in Fort Hood in Texas, which killed and wounded dozens of soldiers. Uh, Anwar al-Awlaki was killed by the American government in a drone strike with no court hearings, no public presentation of evidence you know, nothing at all like that. And that that's a disturbing thing. Um, so I, I do think the presidency has regained its power. And then if Trump succeeds in blocking Congress from, you know, access to White House documents, you know, uh, um, from politicizing the Justice Department, uh, firing uh, Dan Coats, the national intelligence director, you know, who well, I should say forcing him out. You know, because Dan Coates contradicts the, the president about the chances of a nuclear deal with North Korea. And there's example after example after example of Donald Trump politicizing the branches of the government, um, attacking government officials. The president's supporters have been attacking Dr. Tony Fauci about the, the pandemic. So I, if Donald Trump wins the election, I think it will be unquestionably the most powerful presidency in U.S. history, and a president who openly uses every element of federal government power to boost himself politically. And we've, we've never really seen anything like this, at least in my lifetime.
0: Let me take this opportunity to reintroduce you. You're listening to Politics, A Love Story. Our guest today is David Rode, author of In Deep, The FBI, The CIA, and The Truth About America's Deep State. I'm your host, Bob Bushansky. Now, in uh, one of the things that the, uh, the church committee recommended, uh, there were 96 reforms, and su- not surprisingly, they were opposed by Donald Rumsfeld, Dick Cheney, and Antonin Scalia. And you just mentioned all of the things that went on after 9-11. All those reforms were pretty much thrown out the window, and these new uh, power grabs by the executive branch, were promoted by these guys who, Donald Rumsfeld was the uh, the Secretary of Defense, Dick Cheney, the Vice President, and Antonin Scalia at that point was on the Supreme Court. Uh, wow. Uh, no wonder those things move forward.
1: It, 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 um, there was a week, I mean, so again, you know, what's amazing about this era is it is, it's essentially a A civics lesson uh, for uh, Americans. It's it's um, the and So you want the courts and Congress competing with the president and and restraining the president. And it's pretty clear to me that the the, the oversight by Congress of the U.S. intelligence agencies after 9-11 was very weak. Um, You know, uh, the abuses went on that the CIA was involved in and the, the eavesdropping I mentioned earlier. And then some argue that the, you know when the Democrats controlled <clears throat> Congress under Obama they didn't you know investigate him enough, and so it's 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 a it's a dangerous situation where I feel that the partisanship on um, um, has limited people. There's less alliance to the institution. Members of Congress are more you know loyal to their party than they are to the, the institution, and, and that endangers our our constitution.
0: Well, I what... feel. Yes, you're right, I think. Uh, And it's interesting that uh, out of those um, uh, six volumes from the uh, Church Committee report, uh, a few years later, Jimmy Carter signed into law uh, the Civil Service Reform Act, Ethics in Government Act, and created the Office of Independent Counsel, and then later signed the Inspector General Act Act which established a dozen independent inspectors general in federal departments who can investigate reports from whistle, whistleblowers of fraud and abuse. Now, how many of those inspectors general has Trump fired?
1: Uh, you got me here, and I'm sorry. I've been talking too much because your questions are better than me rambling on here. But no, no, you've summed up the, the, all these reforms. And part of the point here is like, when there's talk of a deep state, you know, you just think there are these unchecked officials running around and doing whatever they want. There's just a raft of, of laws and regulations and, and and congressional committees, you know, and inspectors general sort of monitoring these federal workers and, and what they're doing. And and you know, politicians from both parties who are eager to kind of expose a bureaucrat that's hurting, you know, this party or that party. So um, all those so so, yes, yeah, Donald Trump has fired several inspectors general. One of the most recent and most famous one was an inspector general that was appointed to oversee, at that point, the trillion dollars of funding that was going in as economic relief in terms of the pandemic. And it's, a, it's again, a, a steady and I think a strategy of eliminating kind of independent oversight. Instead, you, you keep the positions vacant or you put a loyalist um, into these positions. And the core question here is can there be nonpartisan government officials? And, and, you know, as a subset of that, can there be kind of nonpartisan journalists? And I know, again, many listeners will scoff that, that there can be either. Um, I think there can be. I'm trying to be uh, a nonpartisan journalist. I think we need it. We need, you know, again, like him or dislike him, Dr. Tony Fauci is like your, and the pandemic is a perfect example. A civics lesson of why you would want a career government expert who's ready for, you know, the disaster, you know, you, you can't plan for and someone who's not, you know, stating things about the pandemic that helps one political party um, or the other. Uh, so I. I, um, I think there needs to be inspectors general, and there needs to be experts at the CDC, they need to be watched very closely. Um, by the press, by elected officials, but the fact that so many inspector generals have been fired by President Trump because they're viewed as disloyal is really alarming.
0: Well, that's the other problem. Um, We have these life, career, uh, governmental uh, functionaries who are working for the people, working, I guess, in as, as neutral a position as possible, giving the best advice that they have to give that is possible to give, and then when you have the executive branch that refuses to listen to the people that know, like Fauci, um, that's a, a disaster in the making. And one of the other things you pointed out, David, is that all laws and structures in place depend upon following the laws and working within the structures put in place. It all goes to hell when someone like Trump comes in and how do you prevent it going forward?
1: Yeah, one of the things we've seen is that there are all these norms that were set up, you know, after, you know, again, Watergate and the intelligence scandals of the 70s. And and, you know, Donald Trump's ignored many of them. And it, it hasn't hurt him, you know, fatally at this point um, to do that. And that, you know, these are just rules and norms and they're not, you know, it's, it's a much more fragile system than, than we think. And um, so well, I would say about one thing about President Trump, and I, I heard this from aides, some of whom continue to work for him today, the president doesn't believe that there can be nonpartisan public service. Um, he doesn't believe that journalists are sort of asking, you know, the kind of, more, you know, trying to ask like a straight question in, in the press conferences um uh, to be fair to Trump, he grew up in this, you know, world of New York real estate and incredibly competitive, you know, environment. But everybody was kind of, you know, put a little spin on the ball, always exaggerating their real estate deal or exaggerating this or that. So he thinks that, you know, public servants uh, like certain presidents better than others and they work harder for certain presidents better than others. And, you know, look, as I said, every president is suspicious of uh, we can call them public servants if you like government. We can call them pencil pushers if you if you don't like government. Again, it's all like the terminology you want to use. But um, they, there's no question that bureaucrats uh, leak information that they think will help the policies. You know, they like that they want their their government organization to get bigger budgets and have more prestige. But um, that's very different from plotting a coup. And I think. Um, and I can talk about some of them. I interviewed and, and looked at a lot of career government officials. There's about three million of them. The number has actually been about constant, uh, been constant since since the 1950s. Um, they take pride in serving Republican and Democratic presidents. They take pride in their expertise and they claim that you know President Trump is exaggerating. Um, and that's what I found. And I even had aides of the president say, President Trump is exaggerating when he talks about these coup plotters uh, in Washington.
0: You point out in the book, David, that Ted Olson, Chuck Cooper, Bill Barr, and Ed Meese suggested that Reagan veto more legislation, declined to enforce laws that unconstitutionally encroach upon the executive branch, and then uh, they were also in in office when the Iran. Contra investigation started to expose the existence of a secret government and systemic lying to Congress. Well this is within the executive branch not the career uh, uh, employees of the executive branch. Uh, what what do you think about that contrast?
1: This is the danger and I I, I and get little, a little philosophical here you can hear me trying to talk about the rationales people come up with to for their actions. So um Iran Contra was interesting because, you know, uh President Trump was trying to stop sorry, President Reagan was trying to stop communism, you know, he felt in Central America. He was trying to free American hostages, you know, held uh in, in Lebanon. And, you know, the this whole scheme was created to sell um you know, uh, weapons to Iran and then use the proceeds to fund the Contras in Central America. That was a gross violation of all the new um, oversight laws that have been put in in the 70s. Uh, there was a big investigation. Uh, the system did work and that most Republicans, Warren Rudman, a Republican of New Hampshire, co-chair of the Iran-Contra Investigative Committee, and Warren Rudman and other Republicans rejected um, that argument that that, you know, the president could ignore these laws and the president was free to do what the president needed to defend the country. Um, Ronald Reagan sort of apologized for it. Uh, there's questions about George H.W. Bush's role in Iran conference, but at least presidents back then, you know, George H.W. Bush seemed to fear that he could overstep his powers and be seen as Nixon. And what's changed is that whole fear of not being Nixon has faded. Um and and Trump himself seems to, you know, have no fear whatsoever of sort of overstepping his powers as, as president. Um, and we we won't know. I mean, many Americans, the president's base, continues to passionately and deeply support him. That's their their right to do that. You know, we'll see what happens in the election in November. But it, it's a it's a very um, you know the, the the fear of being another Nixon seems to have been diluted over the years and. It's a it's a dangerous situation when presidents, I think, you know, think they can just use sweeping powers and 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 not be challenged by other parts of the other branches of the government.
0: Well, you just gave uh, George H. W. Bush some credit for trying not to be Nixon, but on the other hand, uh, Barr helped him deliver two crippling blows to the legislative branch's ability to curtail the executive. Uh, do you remember what those two things are in your right. book?
1: Yes, um, uh, George H. W. Bush pardoned um, um, Robert McFarland, the National Security Advisor, and several other officials that were involved in the uh, Iran-Contra scandal.
0: And, and again,
1: this this idea of rationalizing actions. Um, in his in his in a statement that Bush released when he pardoned them, he said that political differences, uh, sorry, differences over policies were being criminalized, and that. It was unfair to, you know, these Iran-Contra officials who were accused of, of not telling the full truth to the independent counsel in that case, Lawrence Walsh, but that they were being, you know, unfairly, a policy dispute was being turned into a criminal behavior. And um, that was, though, a massive blow to Congress's ability to investigate a president. It was a massive blow to independent counsel's ability to investigate a president because it suggested that If you keep your mouth shut, the president will pardon you. Fast forward to today, Roger Stone, convicted of refusing to speak to the FBI about, as part of the Trump-Russia investigation, you know, the president commutes his sentence. Uh, A a glaring example of if you keep your mouth shut and don't cooperate with the investigators, you know, you don't have to go to jail. Um, I know many people, uh, you know... I think that Roger Stone was, again, a victim somehow, but (laughs) I found and the inspector general of the Justice Department found that the the basic investigation into Trump-Russia that began in 2016 was legally justified. You had hacked emails, Democratic emails that were being released. Donald Trump had gotten up and publicly asked Vladimir Putin to find Hillary Clinton's emails. Um, You had... You know, reports coming into the FBI that Russia had dirt on Hillary Clinton and was offering it to George Papadopoulos and other aides. And, and under the very low standards to launch a criminalization, a criminal investigation that had been set after 9-11, it was, that, was a, that was plenty of evidence to launch a criminal investigation. So if people are concerned about this, then – and if Bill Barr is concerned about it, he should raise the standards that are needed – to launch a criminal investigation of a political campaign.
0: but some. Um, go ahead. Some presidents ignore the Constitution and the laws that are already in place. In fact, you point out, David, that George W. Bush had personally authorized a secret program, codenamed Stellar Wind, that gave the NSA the okay to eavesdrop on calls between al-Qaeda members and individuals in the U.S. without the approval of the FISA court. The program went beyond any of the legal measures authorized by Congress in the Patriot Act, and the FISA court and Congress were not notified of the program's existence. It was illegal, unconstitutional, and in hindsight, unnecessary. And that was per John Yoo. Uh, Cheney, Addington, and you were, at that point, the deep state.
1: Correct. If a deep state is a group of unelected government officials who operate in secret, that you know, that is an example of the of the deep state. And I, um, again, I should just let you ask questions because <laughs> I'm really touched and grateful to you for reading the book so carefully and 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 you're summarizing these points uh, better than I am.
0: I and think- that's exactly
1: what happened, you know. And it there was a they had to prevent. it. I mean, I'm being charitable, you know, whatever their motivations, but their public motivations. And I, I talked to intelligence officials, you know, that their motivations were to protect the country, and they couldn't. But Barr gave a speech to the um, Federalist Society in the fall, last fall, and he said that if you look at American history, the, the branch of government that saves the, the nation, that keeps it whole in moments of crisis, is the president. And that's, you know, the, only the presidency has the power and, you know, the, the, the personnel, frankly, in the executive branch to, to, to respond to a depression, a war, uh, or a pandemic. And and Barr argued that uh, this constant attacks on the presidency by congressional committees, by independent councils, by judges who, you know, as you remember, would were throwing out, were saying that Trump's travel ban was was unconstitutional. In Barr's view, uh, this is all just, you know, these are politicized attacks designed to slow down a president and prevent a president from carrying out the mandate they received from the. The voters in the United States.
0: So, that, um,
1: but there's a there's a danger to that rationale. Like you can go too far.
0: Well, that brings up the question that I'd like you to offer an opinion on: What makes political appointees or the elected presidents smarter than career professional intelligence officers?
1: I don't think it. I I would say political appointees. Uh, no, I don't think they're smarter. I think that elected presidents have a mandate from voters. And I think that, you know, if, an, if, an, if a duly elected president is carrying out a policy that – and it's not illegal and it's not unethical, I think government officials should obey the president's orders. I, I think when you have uh, a, a career government official who's sort of, you know, silently thwarting the implementation of a duly elected president's policies – um, and again, the, those policies are kind of legal and ethical, then that just leads to sort of a chaos. So it's not that they're any smarter, but I, I worry about, you know, if, again, if, if, you know, Joe Biden wins in November and you have a bunch of people declaring, I'm not carrying out Joe Biden's orders because I think, you know, they're stupid, you know, you, you that's a dangerous thing for the long-term health of our democracy. So if, if folks don't want to work for a president, you know, they, they should resign. Um, you know, many of them you know, stay in the government, you know, between whether it's a Republican or Democratic president. But I, uh, I do think there is a, a mandate that uh, presidents get when they win.
0: Well, uh, I want to quote another passage from your book, uh, and it's, "...the accumulation of all powers, legislative, executive, and judiciary, in the same hands, whether of a one, a few, or many." And whether hereditary, self-appointed, or elective, may justly be pronounced the very definition of tyranny. And that was James Madison, as he wrote in Federalist Paper Number Forty-Seven.
1: It's an amazing quote. <laughs> I was—I mean, it's been quoted by many people, but I was, you know, proud to put it in my book. And I, my core belief is that a division of powers in the government, a healthy and aggressive congress, a healthy and aggressive judiciary and a healthy and aggressive presidency uh, with reporters all over the place causing trouble and getting leaks and embarrassing, you know, judges and members of congress and presidents is a good thing. I want a dispersal of power. I want, you know, institutions competing with each other and I want transparency more than anything. A core problem in the intelligence community is the overclassification of information, that everything is made secret, that and it doesn't need to be as broad as it's as it's become. I, you know, it's easy to say I agree with Madison, but I, I do agree with Madison and I worry that as we continue in this kind of tribal partisan uh, kind of downward spiral that you could have a Republican or a Democratic president who accrues, you know, a presidency of loyalists. Who feel they're under siege and they you know don't want to share power uh think that you know that that the other side is just some cynical attempt to to weaken them and you know we have to have faith in our institutions and, and systems um and i i do think they're breaking down at this point again the, the pandemic you know many americans question government experts um many politicians you know so the seeds of doubt for political gain. And I think all that is is really destructive for the country in the long term.
0: So um, who is actually doing uh, the classification? Just want to back up a bit. Uh, a classification sure. of intelligence information. Is it the intelligence community or is it the White House?
1: Uh, it's a combination. Uh, the president actually is the ultimate vetter uh, of what's classified and what's not. Um, and the president has the ability to sort of instantly declassify um, anything that the president wants. But there, there, are, there are officials in the, in the CIA and the FBI who are classifying information. And I, and I do think it's post-9-11 as well. There was sort of a, you know, this paranoia of terrorism and uh, some secret threats inside the United States that people didn't know about. And that led to, I, I think, excessive secrecy. And the result is that people don't trust government. You Democrats, you know, the Liberals don't trust government either. When Edward Snowden leaked the surveillance that was being carried out by Barack Obama, it was different in that these FISA court judges, that's the federal intel and sorry, federal sorry, the Foreign Intelligence Surveillance Act is FISA, the FISA court was the one I've talked about that was set up in the seventies. So you had judges approving these surveillance programs in the US. For foreign intelligence reasons, um, everything Snowden leaked had been approved by FISA court judges. Uh, Obama, unlike Bush, sort of did everything, you know, as a lawyer, you know, or legally, just by the book. But that's great. Most Americans were outraged it was going on, and and I think the FISA court has been too much of a rubber stamp and allowed too much uh, surveillance. So it's it's a uh, there's just. Deep suspicions of government on all sides. And anyone who thinks that this is all going to go away if Donald Trump is defeated in November is sort of kidding themselves. We're going to continue to have these, these fights um, for, for years and years, um, as long as we keep not trusting each other.
0: I'm going to take another break to reintroduce you. Uh, you are David Rode, author of In Deep, the FBI, the CIA, and the truth about America's deep state. You're listening to Politics, a Love Story, and I am your host, Bob Bushansky. So the deep state. Um, at one point, uh, I would think, I got from your book, that there is no deep state, not in a conspiratorial way, that Trump uses the term. Do you- yeah,
1: that's the the... That's the core sort of finding in the book to go back to the beginning of the interviews, that I uh, I did not find any evidence of a deep state in the conspiratorial way that Donald Trump uses the term.
0: And in the first five months of Trump's presidency, the Department of Justice, the FBI, and senior intelligence officials proved to be the most formidable resistance that the president encountered in federal government. And how was that so?
1: They— they did briefly, um, and they lost um, Bush. You know, this was Comey and other officials. Uh, uh, they lost. They were forced out. And, and, you know, Jeff Sessions, who recused himself from the Russia investigation, uh, was forced out as well. And so Bill Barr took over. So that that's that's one passage from the book. But um, Trump won. Trump won. Um, I think he has one. I think he has gained full control of the Justice Department with Bill Barr, a politically loyal attorney general, fully defending Trump. I think Chris Wray at the FBI is sort of keeping his head down. Um, Gina Haspel, the CIA director, is keeping her head down. Uh, There has been no testimony by Wray or Haspel or other intelligence officials before Congress for more than a year now uh, because they – I believe fear contradicting President Trump when they did testify more than a year ago. Uh, he, you know, chastised them and mocked them. Um, and then he fired Dan Coats, the director of national intelligence. So it's alarming that, you know, a, an American president is going into a reelection and the government experts in intelligence and in law enforcement are now testifying publicly before Congress because they fear the president will attack them. You know, they, they have effectively been silenced by Trump, and that's very alarming.
0: And, and especially um, the Republican senators who voted uh, to acquit uh, Trump, who had been impeached by the House, uh, they fear uh, his wrath as well. And many of them, uh, I suppose, in listening to some reporters talk, who have talked to them and they won't give their names— they don't believe all that they're getting from Trump. They don't really support him, but they feel they have no choice because he can knock them out of office, and they they hold higher their reelection ability than they do the country. So it seems.
1: So it seems. I mean, I, I do think there's genuine um, differences uh, politically um, in the government. I, I spoke. There was one person who was uh, sort of a religious conservative who I spoke to who worked for Trump and. And they said, you know, privately they said, look, is, does he does he make these, you know, exaggerated statements? And does he almost complicate things with his tweets? Um, and, you know, the person, you know, they, they've said, yeah, that's true. They're talking uh, to themselves, you know, asking hypothetical questions. But the person said, you know, name another politician, you know, who's delivered more in terms of religious liberty. Um, you know, the belief that... that People who are religious in the United States are sort of under assault uh, from the left. And, and so I think there's, you know, there are many Republicans who recognize the president's uh, personal faults. Um, Will Hurd, a former CIA officer, he's a Republican from Texas, and, you know, he was on the Intelligence Committee. Uh, he felt that the president's actions, you know, that got him impeached, the phone call with Ukraine's president. He called the, the you know, unorthodox and amateurish. Um, but not impeachable, and so that's the rationale that that I heard from from Republicans that they were achieving their political goals, and Trump was was amateurish, but not, you know, this this threat to democracy that Democrats say.
0: And the impeachment articles. Um uh, it states in the Constitution high crimes and misdemeanors. Well, that's not very well defined, so you could interpret that almost any way. And so if Hurd didn't think that was impeachable, uh, there were other people who thought that was more than impeachable.
1: Yeah, and this is the broad, broad, um, uh, you know, um, divide we have about basic facts. I mean, there's opinion polls that, that show that uh, in terms of the coronavirus, uh, liberals think that the official uh, death count, you know, is uh, lower than it should be, that, that the government's hiding, you know, all these deaths by coronavirus. And Republicans, you know, feel that uh, that the official government death count or uh, coming from all these hospitals is, is exaggerated and inflated. And if we can't agree on basic facts like that, you know, does mask wearing stop the virus or not, You know, how are we ever going to agree how to come up with policies that, you know, protect us as individuals and as a society and as a country? Um, So I think there have to be nonpartisan journalists and nonpartisan government officials who do their best to present sort of basic facts. If you want to go be a columnist, you know, and you can and should, and there's many great ones. But, you know, this idea of like 100 percent politicized, everybody's lying and spinning and helping their side. You know, it's very, it's very destructive and corrosive.
0: So let me jump a little bit here, uh, uh, and the the deep state uh, that we have said there is no in the Trump sense deep state. But what about in the bowels of the Department of uh, Homeland Security, uh, the fact that Barr sent those. Uh, Unidentified troops to Portland, and is threatened. Trump has threatened to send them to Chicago and other areas. And the fact that they don't wear insignia that doesn't identify them uh, is that a new deep state that has been created from the Department of Homeland Security.
1: Yes, and the, the danger here is that you see this with Rudy Giuliani. You know that that that. The, the, as the president gets more and more fearful, he doesn't trust the State Department, so he has his own, you know, lawyer Rudy Giuliani carrying out his own foreign policy. When you have Bill Barr sending, um, you know, officers in unmarked uniforms to, to battle Antifa, when in fact there aren't that many, you know, Antifa people participating in these demonstrations, but these are all conspiracy theories that you know that these officials believe themselves and they then, you know, we have to protect the, the identities of these federal law enforcement officials that we're sending out to Portland, you know, so their families aren't hunted down by Antifa. I mean, this is all false information now, yeah, all these conspiracy theories. I think the United States is facing like one of the greatest uh, crises of, of, of disinformation in its history. I think there's a, a rampant amount of false and misleading information posted online um, and conspiracy theories as well. And I, you know, this was a, the, the recent tech hearing, but I, I do think there has to be some change in the system where Twitter and Google and Facebook have no liability whatsoever when um, false and slanderous information is posted on their platforms. Um, it's very difficult to police. But you know, when I write a story, you know, for the New Yorker, you know, or any news organization, we can be sued. For libel or slander, uh, if, if what if we've like consciously and, and it can be shown that we egregiously printed this false information, there's nothing like that. So I, I some Section Two Thirty, which gives the tech companies no liability about what's produced, sorry, what's published on their platforms, needs to be reformed to create some kind of check on this just staggering amount of false information that's circulating online now.
0: And there's also more erosion of our democratic institutions uh, with this new uh, uh, postmaster General. Uh, there were all kinds of stories coming out and it's hard to believe which is the real deal and which is just misinformation. But uh, there were some postal employees who said that sorting machines would have been removed so that mail is just piling up. And this is going into an election that may have the highest percentage of mail in voting ever. And is the country ready? So that means that from November 3rd on, we may have more confusion and difficulty. And what's going to happen? I know that the Constitution says that the terms of the president and vice president end at 12 noon on January 20th, the January after the election. So there's no way he can stay in office, that's Trump and Pence, after that date. But will things be decided by then? And if not, chaos will reign.
1: It's an extraordinary moment, as I said. It's a civics lesson, um, and and you know, again, I I would urge if you're a conservative and you you know see something on your Facebook feed about massive you know voter fraud and you and you you're not seeing the same thing reported by the Wall Street Journal, then it's probably false. The Wall Street Journal is owned by Rupert Murdoch. Its editorial page is deeply conservative. You know, the Wall Street Journal would be delighted to print things that, you know, aid conservatives and, and Republicans. But I, I have many friends that work at the Wall Street Journal, and I respect them. And they won't, you know, print something if, it, if they can't verify it. Actually, that's, that is journalism. You get what you pay for. So when you pay for your journalism, you get better quality information. And so... Um, and vice versa. If you're a liberal and there's some giant, you know, Trump conspiracy uh, you're seeing on Facebook, and it's not on the news pages in the New York Times, it's probably not false. I'm sorry, it's probably false. So the conspiracy theories about voter fraud potentially are going to cause us to have a massive constitutional crisis. You know, when if the president says that the voting, you know, results, the tallies are false.
0: I want uh, that can
1: only that can only he can only make a claim like that based on fact, and and I I worry that that he will not stick to the
0: facts. I want to read the last paragraph in your book, because I think it's very important, Uh, and we're coming close to the end of our time. Under the guise of stopping a coup that does not exist, Trump is upending the checks and balances that are the foundation of American democracy. He is politicizing the Department of Justice and other government agencies and using them to attack his enemies. Whether out of fear or calculation, Trump is creating a parallel shadow government filled with like minded loyalists without transparency, democratic norms, or public process. A deep state of his own. Wise words, David. <laughs>
1: I, I fear this is what's happening. I think that there are people pushing back on this process, but I do, you know, hear from, from people close to President Trump that he's increasingly distrustful of the people around him, and I would, you know, hope that, you know, he'll he'll um, that that dynamic will end. That he has some advisors that he trusts. That that you know um, that we we that our system of government is allowed to function. As it should on November third, and and to go back to Mitch McConnell, like he has succeeded, the United States has an election system run by counties uh, and states in some places, but it's incredibly dispersed. It's it um, involves tens of thousands of counters and maybe maybe hundreds of thousands, you know. And we have to believe in our institutions, and and so when the results come in on November third. You know, I would urge listeners to to not believe that hundreds of thousands of vote counters are part of some giant conspiracy. You know, and and trust the results. Give the courts time to sort them out. Florida was a mess in 2000, but you know we have to believe in our vote counters and our judges and our elected leaders and and the journalists you think are fair, because um, otherwise we'll descend into chaos and. The pandemic shows how that can cost lives, and I do fear political violence in November if all sides don't trust the the vote totals.
0: I want to thank you, David Rode, author of In Deep, the FBI, the CIA, and the Truth About America's Deep State. This has been a lively discussion, and I hope uh, that you've enjoyed it as much as I have. Thank you very much for coming on.
1: Thank you Bob you've been wonderful and I'm so impressed and grateful to you for, for reading the book so carefully and you summed it up better than I did but thank you all and and I'm optimistic we can the church committee you know in the 70s they came through with reforms and I think you know our our system can reform itself again and we'll we'll all get through this uh, if we trust each other and don't let politics divide us all too deeply
0: thank you